Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey everybody, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Lindsay Hartz, all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, now, Lindsay partners with Christian authors and publishers to share the gospel through the written word. She creates and implements marketing campaigns for new book releases, as well as ongoing communications and marketing strategy for authors, ministry as a whole. So not just the book, we're talking the whole ministry. And her extensive experience in corporate marketing, project management, social media strategy, help provide strategic marketing tools to a ministry-focused world. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about, and I'm, I'm really excited about this, is faith-based books and also faith-based marketing. Um, so that's going to be the theme throughout this interview. Uh, and the one thing I do want to say uh, straight away up front is that a lot of the things that we'll talk about, it doesn't matter if, if you're a Christian, if you're a Hindu, Buddhist, any, any of that, or if you're writing a book about any of that, there's a lot of lessons here. Because the one big thing that people are really worried about, or a lot of people are worried about, is how, how do I sell my book without being too salesy? Or without coming across sleazy or you know it, it's it's a big fear and a big limiting belief that that people have so i'm really excited to have uh lindsay address that as well as give us some actionable steps and and things that you can do um to your market your book in a good way so lindsay welcome it's great to have you great it's great to be here awesome well i, I want to start off by taking us Take, take us back to a little bit to the beginning. How did you get into all this book marketing stuff? Because we were talking before the interview, you know, a lot of your work is with published authors and a lot of it is publishers, but then also a lot of it is on the self-publishing side too. So how did you get started with all this? Absolutely. That's a great story. Um, it's interesting to look back over the years and see um, just how purposed my path has been. So about nine, 10 years ago, I was working in the corporate marketing world. I worked in business management, project management, and marketing uh, for a major Fortune 500 company. And it was a great company. I loved the, the culture and the atmosphere. But right around that time, there was a lot of personal stuff going on in our life that made me question just really everything about my life and where it was going. So through a series of um, some rather difficult events, um, my husband and I made the decision for me to leave work and come home. Um, and I often identify it as literally having my identity stripped away because up until that point, um, my entire life had been about kind of the performance um, and results-oriented metrics that make up the corporate world. And coming home, it really put me back into a position of making sure that I was taking care of my relationship with God and my relationship with my family first, and then figuring out how to fit what I was gifted at around that. So this last nine or 10 years has been a really incredible journey of really seeking out um, my skills and seeking out what I was gifted in and figuring out a way to mesh that into 
uh, career that allowed me to honor God, honor my family and stay home, which is a great bonus. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. I, yeah, that's a, the great thing of, of running online businesses. You get to work from home, you get to work from anywhere, really, whether it's home or not, you know, yeah. whether you're on vacation. And that's certainly something that, that I love. How did how did coming from your job and everything, how did you land on books? How did that become your thing? Well, that's more of the, the personal aspect of just how I, um, my personality and my interests. So from a child, I loved writing. I would write stories and I would write little books and essays. Um, and it just really provided me an outlet um, to, to look at the world in a different way. Um, I now know as an adult, you know, that I'm a creative. And so the way that I see the world is through a lens of um, beauty and inspiration. And as a child, I didn't really understand that. But as an adult, I do now. Um, so being in the corporate world, um, while it definitely gave me structure um, to a sometimes chaotic creative mind, it was not something that was life-giving to me. So when I came home, and went through the process of evaluating what is it that I'm truly gifted in? What are the skills that I could use out in the world that again, uses what I'm passionate about, but also allows me to stay home and focus on my family. Um, I landed on books really by chance. Um, I started writing again as an adult about six, seven years ago through kind of a healing process in my own life. And I found through writing that I was able to really tap into some wounds and hearts that I had experienced growing up and really find a way um, to find hope and healing in those moments and then purpose those moments to help other people. So I was originally a writer. I had a blog and I wrote on a lot of collaborative blogging boards and actively pursued um, training to become an author. I wanted to write books. And the turning point for me was taking a mentoring program called the Blast Mentoring Program. And it's building leaders, authors, speakers, and teachers. And Ridge, who is a, has sold you know, millions of books. And the beginning part of that class was really evaluating the reason behind why I was writing. And that's important because it actually carries through in the mentoring and consulting I do now with my authors. So for me, it was really taking a step back and going, okay, why am I writing? Am I writing for myself to share my story or am I writing to share God's redemption so other people um, And it was definitely a turning point for me. Um, it was at that point that I was not supposed to write books. Um, we were pretty shocked by that decision. What I did is I took a step back and pulled down all of my writing off the internet and, and did a lot of soul work and heart work about what were my motivations? What is it that I was trying to do in this world to make a difference and to lead the legacy and really to give people the hope that I had found? Um, and it's through that journey that I became connected online with um, a lot of online branding organizations, authors, speakers. And what I noticed is that while a lot of them are very, very gifted with their words and their speeches, um, they are not all always equipped to understand the marketing world. 
and they are definitely not always able to take what can seem like an overwhelming process and turn it into a literal project plan that they can follow from start to finish in order to effectively market their material and their books. So really, I kind of fell into this. It wasn't something that I deliberately sought out. It was really a lot of um, reaching out to my friends who were authors and saying, I really feel strongly I'm supposed to work with authors. How can I help you? And then after doing that for six to my nine months, really identifying some core services I could provided or that I could pro provide to them um, that would really help them get that message out to the world. Got it. And so for a lot of those, we're talking about people who have a good message. They're, mm -hmm. they're just not really sure how to get it out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from a, from an industry standard, even nine, 10 years ago, social media was not as prevalent as it is now. The internet um, was present. Of course there were blogs, but it wasn't, um, as widespread as it is now as a tool to use for marketing. So some of my clients fall into kind of that old school author mentality where your network was literally someone you knew, you know, or someone that you were introduced to. And so having watched the transition from, you know, pounding the pavement going and doing book signings and meeting people at speaking engagements, and that was your connection with people to now, you know, with a click of a button, we have access to multiple social media platforms that definitely give us an amazing connection with the world around us. And it gives us the ability to really reach out to people that we may never meet in real life. Um, and the benefit to them is they get to hear these stories and go, gosh, me too. I'm not alone. And there's hope for whatever I'm going through and there's healing for whatever I'm going through. And they don't have to live next door to you to get that kind of encouragement. They can be across the world. So all to say, I think the, the way that marketing has changed and grown is, is to our benefit because we are definitely able to reach many, many more people. Um, but one of the bigger challenges is that that also means that there is a lot of noise now. So the biggest challenge is figure, figuring out a way to really identify what your message is and how, how it's unique and how to stand out from the crowd so you can impact the right people. Got it. So for most of these people that you're working with, what's like you talked about, so they have that message that they want to share. Like what's the biggest struggle? What's, what's the thing that they're always they're basically struggling with until you can come in and help them with it. Um, honestly, it's the tension between marketing and sales and ministry. So as Christians, you know, we are called to love and serve people. We're called to go out and make disciples of the nations. And um, we're called to teach them about Jesus and again, give them hope and healing in Christ. Um, and culturally in the church, that is something that is often perceived as something we give away for free. So out of the goodness of our heart, out of our desire to serve God, you know, we will go out and mentor someone or we'll, we'll partner with the mom down the street who has a screaming, crying baby that's two weeks old. You know, those are kind of the natural things we do to reach out and love and serve people. And so when you take that heartfelt desire and suddenly put it into a world that is requiring our authors to market themselves and their work, there can be a little bit of a tension between that. And so the biggest obstacle that we have to work through in the very beginning is that it's okay to market 
and to use sales techniques um, because that's going to enable you to reach more people and to help more people. And really ultimately the mindset needs to shift a little bit. So yeah. if you're, if you're a Christian author, it's not that you're marketing you really, it's that you're marketing the message that you've lived through, you know, that God has given you the experiences, the lessons learned, um, hopefully the redemption in that story. And um, because it's a way to reach others for him. So that's one of the, biggest challenges that my authors face. So it's almost like giving themselves permission mm -hmm. to market themselves or to sell to sell mm -hmm. their books or to whatever. Right. Got Definitely. it. It's, it's funny because when you start talking about money, it's this sticky <laughs> subject that nobody wants to talk about and charge for especially creatives. It's yes. charged for my work. Oh my gosh. That, that's, you know, I'll just give it a, I, money's not important. It's, you know, I don't do this for the money. And it's almost as if you, if you start asking for money or you charge for actually what you're worth for what you're mm -hmm. doing, that people feel like I'm going to be perceived as this money snob or someone who that's all right. I care about. So you've got money right. on one side, which is a really sticky subject in all contexts. And then you have religion on the other side, which mm -hmm. is something that people just squirm when that's brought up. And what I think is, is hilarious and awesome about this and about what you do is it's the merge of those two. So now there's two uncomfortable <laughs> subjects. And I feel like that makes people really uncomfortable, which makes your services really, really valuable. Yes. At the same time, they're balancing this uncomfortable subject of money and also this uncomfortable subject of religion. It's funny, I, you know, I told my husband a few months ago, he's, he's just kind of watched this whole process in awe because it's required a lot of trust from me. Um, just by nature, um, I prefer having a nine to five job with a paycheck and a bonus, <laughs> you know, who doesn't? Um, and so it's been a real interesting journey for me to literally trust in my provision day to day. Um, and I went through this journey myself that these authors are struggling with. And what I had to learn ultimately is that I was gifted in a very specific way and I have very specific skills. And if I were in the corporate world, I would expect to get paid for the work that I'm doing. You know, and I would expect to get rewarded if I was doing a good job. And it's okay to work towards something because really work is being a good steward of our skills and our strengths. And money is a resource that we're provided um, by God in order to continue that. You know, and it's not just the mission of the work that we're doing. It's literally, in my case, I help provide for my family. You know, so having said that, it's definitely um, a, a really huge obstacle that I have to work through with most of my authors, not because they don't value their work. It's more sometimes the reception or the or, or the way people perceive Christians charging money for something that should be ministry work in their eyes. That can be more of the challenge. So you definitely have to establish yourself as an authority in the area that you are speaking on or writing on and provide those great resources, whether it's books or products or workshops or mentoring or counseling or anything like that. Um, and then charge fair wages for your work. Because ultimately the money 
allows you to reach more people. You know, we make money, we provide for our family, but also that money can be poured right back in to the ministry overall and allow you to expand, you know, via resources you need or marketing. Yay. So yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely an interesting subject for sure. Well, I can't, I can't wait to t talk more on the marketing a little bit later in this interview. Sure. Um, one thing I wanted to pull out that you were just saying is that by making money, you're able to pour that money back in. I think that's so important because it's something that people lose track of. They lose sight of. They think I'm just charging money and it comes to me, you know, but yeah. what, what people don't realize is that by not charging what you're worth, you're not making money and, and, and you don't have that abundance and the overflow that you're able to pour back into projects. So like some yes, of the absolutely. best, ministries that, that I've been a part of and that I just really love are the ministries that fuel themselves or that are also for profit. So like mm -hmm. a big, um, a big charity that we support um, and that we supported with one of our books. And then also my brother um, plays in need to breathe and, and their big support is Palmetto medical initiative. So they do medical Absolutely. charity work, but they create self-sustaining clinics. So these clinics, mm -hmm. They train Ugandan and third world country doctors to where people pay if they can, they don't if they can't, and then they self-sustain. Or like our, our church back in South Carolina, they had what they called the Imagine Center, which was a huge gym. And it was just this beautiful um, workout facility. And all the companies and, and people in, in the city, a lot of people just used it because it was a gym. They were providing a service. But mm -hmm. by being profitable, with the Imagine Center, they were able to dump that money back into the church, back into ministries, back into helping people, saving lives, mm -hmm. malaria pills, like you name it, all these Absolutely. things. And so I love that element. And I think if people don't see that at the end, you mm -hmm. know, like I'm making a profit so that I can make a bigger difference. It's mm -hmm. almost like by not charging what you're worth, you're robbing others of, of this huge impact that, that comes from that overflow. Um, Absolutely, but like, yeah. like you were just talking about it all starts right here right first mm -hmm. off and so mm -hmm. what are some things that you do some steps that you take when when you first start working with someone that that kind of help them get right here so that mm -hmm. they overcome those mental hurdles to charging money for what they're worth Absolutely. And um, well, honestly, a lot of my authors operate, again, I work with traditionally published authors and self-published authors. Um, and some of the obstacles are the same, and some of them are slightly different based on the scenario that you're in. And so with traditionally published authors, um, you know, they usually have a contract and they're held, you know, to certain expectations from their publisher. So they're inherently placed in that tension that we're talking about of wanting to minister and serve and reach the right people. But if they don't meet sales goals or expectations, there's a very real possibility that they could not get another contract you know, or the book won't sell and that affects the publisher. Um, so that's, that's a real challenge. And then with the self-publishing world and um, not everyone is equipped to understand what goes into building a relationship with the right audience well in advance before you sell your book um, or even how to go about marketing their material in an effective manner. And it's not just, you know, your, your digital marketing strategy. It's also, do you have the ability to tell the story well? And if you're telling your story well and reaching your right audience, then in both places, you're going to be able to 
really impact the people that you need to. So when you're asking for practical steps, you know, one of the first things that we walk through really has more to do with their, with their branding overall. So we often look at, you know, their website and their social media platforms and their email list and everything they have associated with that to make sure that who they are as a person and who their mission is, is very clear um, within the first, you know, 10 seconds of someone visiting any of those platforms. Um, and that it's very clear to the reader what they can expect from that author, what kind of material, what kind of encouragement, what kind of help. Um, interestingly enough, that's not always the case. And um, there's not usually, well, I shouldn't say not usually. Some authors are really good at this and some are not. Um, but sometimes there can be a gap between understanding that there needs to be a very cohesive presence where your readers can understand and what they can expect from you, right? So that's some of the first work we do. And then we do some evaluation on, honestly, time management. Um, and what I mean by that is there's so many options available for us to market ourselves, especially in social media with YouTube and videos and Facebook and Twitter. You know, there's endless um, ways you can share your material on the internet. Um, the challenge is that your audience may not be on all of those platforms. And if you're spending your time on every single platform, um, there's a possibility that there's some time there that really should be focused in the area where your audience actually is engaging with you. Um, you just spread themselves too thin is really what I'm trying to say. So we do some work um, evaluating the different um, platforms and where their audience is responding and removing the places that they're not getting any response and redirecting that time to where they actually are getting a response and engagement with their fans and their followers. Got it. So it's narrowing in more on mm -hmm having people not try to do everything and be on every platform, but figuring out which one is the best platform for them. Right. For their message and, and where they finding their actual audience versus, I mean, really when you look at books, um, subject matters can be very specific or they can be very broad. Right. And so being able to look at your material and pull out the different types of people that would benefit from your book or your message is really, really important because then once you've identified that three or four, you know, group, or I shouldn't say group, but like customer, um, then you can go find out where they are in order to build a relationship with them and interact with them. So it's really doing work up front to understand um, who you are, what your message is, and where your audience actually is engaging with you um, and focusing your efforts there so that down the road, when you get to actually marketing a book or a product, you're already interacting with those people and you're not trying to do it at the last minute, you know, a month before a product is coming out. Got it. So we're, we're starting by distilling their message. Mm -hmm. 10 seconds, I, I pop on your site, read an email, whatever, and I, I get that distilled message. I know exactly what to, what to expect from you up front and then what to continually expect mm -hmm. from you. Distilling that first, mm -hmm then finding out, okay, what's that audience that's attracted to that message, figuring out mm -hmm. who they are, um, what they're doing, where they're engaging with you and all that stuff. Then it's 
honing in on the platforms that best reach those people. Is that, is that track? And those are kind of what we're yes. going through so far. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Absolutely. So once we, once we go through that now, what, what's up next? <laughs> well, this is where we start to look at the, the mission and message of the author themselves. And so usually when I work on, um, pains, um, we go through the book, the manuscript. Sometimes I get the manuscript and sometimes the book is almost finished. And so we walk through the book chapter by chapter to pull out um, really the areas that we think will resonate with readers most and provide them the most valuable, actionable um, inspiration in terms of practical steps, but also in terms of spiritual growth, right? Um, so we go through chapter by chapter. Um, we, we also try to pull themes out, um, maybe three or four major themes in the book where we can craft um, a story around it well in advance of the release date. So the book marketing is obviously having that, that, that brand and that platform and the audience dead on because you know you're going to be communicating with the right people. And I didn't mention this earlier, but numbers are such a big conversation. You know, a lot of authors will go to a publisher and have amazing material and be told, I'm sorry, you don't have a platform. So come back to me when you do. And that is a reality. Um, it's also one of the reasons why some people go towards self-publishing versus traditional publishing. And there's, there's a, just this inherent, um, thought process that if you don't have a platform, you're not going to succeed. And my challenge is it's not so much if you don't have a platform, you're not going to succeed. It's do you have the right people around you? So you may have an email list of 500 people. Um, but like in my case, they're all authors and those are my ideal clients. If I had a list of 10,000 people and only 1% of them were authors, then it doesn't really benefit me because I'm talking to the wrong people. Does that make sense? Yep. So having said all that, um, those are really vital things to have down well before you try to promote a book or a product. Um, and then when you pull the material out, you know, you already have a built in base of people that you can survey and ask questions of and ask advice from, you know, and cover, what do you think about this story in this chapter? And all of that helps you build a relationship with that audience that's beyond the asking for something. And it's more of I'm giving you something and I'm seeking your help and I'm seeking your buy-in because I believe that you have something of value to contribute to my work. So it becomes collaborative um, versus, you know, just a consumer relationship where someone's buying something that someone's selling. Got it. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. And how do you, how does your approach on the marketing side differ from some of your clients who you say, 
might have a smaller platform, but they have really engaged a really engaged audience versus someone who has 10, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 person email list. Like how does the strategy that you take differ or that you recommend there? Well, my strength lies in being a storytelling marketer. So what I do is actually universal, whether you have a small platform or a large platform, because it's really about pulling out kind of those needs or aches that your readers have and making sure your material is addressing that. And so if you're doing that right, it doesn't really matter whether your list is small or big. You're, you're serving the, the customer base that you have well. Um, I, I guess that answers that question. Yep. Cool. I hope. So when, once you get through, you know, you've helped them distill their message, you're pulling out, sounds like stories and hooks um, mm-hmm. that they can use as blog posts that they can use as, you know, to get onto TV shows, podcasts, whatever. Once you're doing that, like what are some other things that you're doing with the authors uh, to move books or once you get more on the marketing side? Mm. Well, so once we go through the material and we pull out, like you said, the hooks and the stories, we do a lot of content management. So going through um, the material that they already have on their website to see if we can curate any of that content. Because part of what I do is also about streamlining and making the whole book launch process efficient, right? Um, And one of the overwhelming pieces of a book launch is really just the sheer volume of work that has to be done, usually in a six to eight month timeframe. And in creating, you know, multiple blog posts for guest posting or creating articles or creating content for interviews and podcasts, it can get really overwhelming really fast. So we go through old material to see what we can curate and maybe reshape, you know, to fit the message of the book. Um, Again, we go through the book chapter by chapter to identify um, key nuggets that will really stick with the readers um, as reflective of the material as a whole. Um, And then we walk through how we're going to use that material. So there's a combination of, writing blog post series or having specific email campaigns that we're going to to write um, what we're going to use for a blog post what the author is going to use um, as a speaking engagement it's really separating out the material in a way where they're providing really valuable information no matter what venue or media format they're using Um, ultimately the most important piece is giving the readers a taste of what's coming in the book without giving away the entire book. So all of it should point back again to the author website and really incentivize those readers to go, gosh, I really need that book and I need it right now. (laughs) And what, what are some things you do to, to do that? Or what, what are some things that work really well there that, that get them to just say, I can't just read this and go on with my day. Like I have to go check out this book. Absolutely. Gosh. So so let's see. Again, I'm a storyteller marketer. So what I love to do with my authors is talk through with them in consulting sessions. Um, Some of the behind the scenes material that may not have made it into the final manuscript. Um, So often I'll have them do um, author video diaries. And we usually do this about three months um, before a book release date leading up through where they'll share like a 
behind the scenes look at what didn't make it. That I'll also have them share literally how they're feeling about their book release process. Because again, our readers <clears throat> may really want to read the message we have, but part of this is building a trust between the two and a relationship. So giving the readers kind of that inside look into what makes the author tick and really honestly seeing that there are people just like us. They have fears, they have uncertainty, um, and ultimately they're working through it just like the rest of us. Um, it really just gives that personal touch to some of the marketing that we're doing. Um, and honestly has sold some books because you know I've had authors go and say, gosh, I wrote this book and I want to throw the whole thing away and it's coming out in a week, you know, and people are like, me too. So anyway, the videos are really great. The videos are great because it allows that kind of personal insight into the author's process and heart um, and their struggles. And it just makes it more real. Um, so that's just one thing that we can do. Got it. So you talked about making the book launch process more productive and, you know, there's, there's, millions of things that you could be doing and a lot of things that you should be doing. And then probably even more things that the publisher is saying you have to do. Um, if you're, yeah. if you're with a publisher, how, so you, you talked about repurposing the content. Um, and that mm -hmm. was, that, that seemed like one huge way that you can yeah. repurpose content for blog posts, for emails, for stuff like that. Also, you just talked about videos, video diaries, things like that. What are some other things, um, that, you, that you've done or that you recommend throughout the book launch process to, to make it more productive and, and make it more efficient? And more efficient. Well, productive, um, from the productive and efficient standpoint, I'm a big, big fan of having a very laid out marketing and project um, and content plan. So when I work with my clients, we actually walk through the per that process of once we find the content we want to use, we separate it out into the type of media content it's going to be. <clears throat> and then we work out a schedule, you know, usually about six months before the release date and a, a month or two after of what kind of content we're going to release when. Um, <clears throat> from a productivity and efficiency standpoint, giving the author a literal timeline is really helpful to them because they can visually see what all they need to accomplish in order to run an effective book launch from an administrative perspective, and then also from a creative perspective. So having kind of that overall timeline of what they need to do to update their website, for example, um, you know, having a book release page and, and endorsements and collecting, um, you know, reviews from influencers that have received an advanced copy of the book. All of those items need to happen well in advance of a release date so that when the book is actually released, you have that social proof and you have that reader proof that the book has been valuable to others, which can incentivize other people to purchase. Um, one of the other things I love to use from a productivity and efficiency standpoint is actually launch teams. Um, and this is going to be kind of an interesting topic because there are people who are decidedly against having a launch team and there are people who love them and then there's people all in between. So, really? who, yeah, if, if you don't mind saying who's against launch teams, <laughs> um, that can vary. And um, some publishers are not fans uh -huh. of them. Some are great fans of them. 
some authors don't always see the need for them, but that's usually because they don't want to manage it because it is kind of a big time commitment. Um, But it's also just the nature of, I was reading a a thread the other day in a marketing group on LinkedIn and they were talking about launch teams. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because the whole conversation was, well, how do you get a launch team together if you only have 50 people on your email list, you know? And it was that whole notion of if I don't have enough people following me, then I can't build an effective launch team. And that's a total complete myth. It really is. It's just interesting to see kind of the obstacles, but I'll share with you why I think they're fabulous. (laughs) Um, Honestly, what I love the most about teams is that they are passionate advocates of your work is the bottom line. Now, when I do launch teams, I do, um, we walk through a process where we identify really three different ideal types of people to be on a launch team. So the first, um, I guess, category would be your traditional influencers. And for those that are not familiar with that term, um, that's usually your um, authors or speakers that have very established audiences and platforms and a very strong voice. Um, that you make a list of and you send your book to them and they usually get like little gifts and stuff like that that are related to the theme of the book in the hopes that they'll read the book and share it with their readers. Um, so it's, it's kind of like your, your wish list, you know, your top 100 people that if they would just send one tweet about your book, a thousand copies will be sold or that's what people think. But, but you know, just that whole, like, I really want to get the hands this book into the hands of these people. So that's kind of one list that we create. And then we create another list that is more of your direct peer network. So these are other authors or speakers or ministry leaders that you actually have a relationship with, that you've written with, that you've spoken with, that you've interacted with them on social media beyond just friending them, <laughs> you know? Um, and so the what you ask them to do is slightly different. This is usually the group where you ask, you know, I have this book, here's this material, um, here are a few topics or themes, could I do a guest post for you? Or would you be willing to interview me? And the key with this group, and even with the influencer group, is making sure you're identifying people that have an audience that is in need of your book. Okay, you're wanting to give them something of value to give their readers. And so if you're just picking random people because they have a huge platform, that's not going to be received well, because that means you didn't do your research to see if what you're giving them will actually benefit their readers because they're in the business of building trust and relationship with their readers. And they're going to be more um, prone to share your material if it will actually help their readers. They want to help their readers. They're not necessarily in it to help you, if that makes sense. So the third category is really your fans. These are people that, again, you've built a relationship with through social media or via your email list who love to read your books, who are excited to get to talk to you as the author. Um, And they'll just do whatever you ask because they want you to succeed. And so when I do my launch teams, you know, we have a combination of those three groups. Um, And we also 
really work hard to cultivate an atmosphere of giving in my launch teams. So what I mean by that is I've been part of a lot of launch teams. Some of them I've run and some of them I've just been a part of for market research and to see what other people are doing and to get new ideas. Um, and what has struck me as interesting is that the groups that they're just asking repeatedly for the team to do X, Y, or Z, it doesn't seem to go as well as the groups where the author, and in many cases me, because I run my launch teams for the author, we're building a relationship with them beyond just asking them to share things via social media or in their community. So we often take our launch team through the book itself before the release date as a study um, to encourage growth in their own life before we ever ask them to do anything, which again makes them even more passionate advocates and they want to stick around down the road for that long-term ministry relationship. That's awesome. So how, how many different launch teams have you run? Oh gosh. Um, too many to I don't even know how to answer that a lot. And yeah. let's see, this year, I think I did eight in the spring and I'm currently working on five for the fall. Wow. What are some of the coolest things that you've seen come out of a launch team? Really the community. Um, for real. Um, I, again, it, it's something that I cultivate in my launch teams. I really want them to walk away feeling like we've given them hope or healing um, and that they've gotten an inside look into kind of the author's life and world in a way that they may not necessarily see through normal social media aspect. Um, interesting is a lot of my launch teams now are from, so, so I have clients that we do this whole process but a lot of my launch team members have now started joining every launch team I do because they love the community aspect of it and connecting with people that are like-minded and are encouraging. Um, and interestingly enough, um, it's not just about purchasing a book for them or getting a book free or getting even a portion of the book free. It's really about walking through really difficult situations in life with people that can encourage and uphold you. So that's been really, really neat for me to see. And um, I don't think I fully expected that when I started this, it was really more about just helping the author. Um, but for me personally, it's been a huge blessing to see how my work and the author's work is impacting so many people you know, in a really wide variety of ways. That's great. And I think an important message there too, is that if you're just starting out and if you don't have an email list, your launch team can be your yes. uncle, your grandma, right? Your friend, you know, like that's <laughs> the way it was my first book. It was just a bunch of Facebook friends. Right. Like, Let's do this, you know, support this, you know, we're, we're all in this together kind of atmosphere. And well, even if you don't have a following or if you're, you know, if you're not really on the map or anything. That's actually a fantastic point because I actually tell my clients to have almost like a home launch team. Do you know what I mean? Where they're not necessarily going to sign on to Facebook or Twitter, but they will that you can connect with and just be prayed over and encouraged through this process. I do that for my clients personally, but in general, I mean, there's nothing like calling your mom and saying, mom, I think my book's horrible. And of course, mom is going to say, uh, -uh that's awesome. <laughs> so just, you know, having that encouragement through something that's a real vulnerable place for a lot of authors. 
Um, I just had a client who released an amazing book called Untangled by Carrie Scott. And it is the first time that she shared her childhood abuse story. And she's in her 40s. And so we worked on this book project for six, seven months. And it's been incredible to see just in her own life, her being so vulnerable and willing to share a really painful part of her life that has now helped several people in her launch team find healing for things of similar nature, you know? So all to say, I think just that vulnerability, vulnerability and that openness um, and that community has been amazing for me to see outside of the obvious, you know, selling books and, and helping the authors with the income aspect of it. It's just been great to see um, the gospel being paid for like that. That's great. Now, one, one big question that a lot of people have, um, and especially I've, I've heard this from a few people inside self-publishing school um, that are um, Christian or faith-based authors is uh -huh. when I'm writing my book, how much do I weave this into the story? Do I go for it and, and make it completely faith-based and that's part of the solution for the book? Do I kind of straddle the fence? Do I, yeah. you know, in the title and do I, do I put that in there to scare people off if that's not their cup of tea? Like, yeah. do you get people asking that kind of stuff a lot? Um, I have worked with authors across the board, actually. So I have authors that are very scripture focused. You know, the books are full of scripture and they're full of, um, you know, almost Bible study questions that are meant to help guide the reader, you know, to a deep, deeper spiritual understanding and healing. And then I have authors that we call sneaky Jesus. <laughs> and so basically, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And so you. That. You read it and the principles of faith are there, you know, but it's not necessarily Jesus, Jesus, God, God, every other sentence. And to be honest, there's room for both types. Yeah. Um, there's value for both types. Um, to share a little bit of my, my personal story and why I feel this is so important. And, and because I really feel like this will benefit that question. You know, when I was first coming to faith, you know, nine or 10 years ago, I was a person who would look at the Bible um, and see everything I had done wrong and everything that people had done wrong against me. I was, it was very hard for me to see grace and love and acceptance, right? Um, but what did reach me were books that were basically sneaky Jesus, right? Because they gave me hope and were a conduit to a relationship with a God that I wanted to believe in, but I had a lot of hurt that I needed to get through before I could receive his love. Right. And so if you're straddling that fence and you're trying to figure out, okay, do I just lay it all out here or do I make it a little less prevalent in my work? Really that's a matter between you and God. You got to spend time in prayer and really figure out what it is he wants you to do with the message and care it around what he's asking you to do. Um, and that's really hard because being faith-based um, openly in our work can be a huge risk. It can open you up to a lot of rejection and condemnation. Um, and flat out, it's just scary sometimes. You know, sharing parts of our stories that are hard or difficult. I have a lot of mistakes in my past that I'm really not proud of. Um, but at the same time, if I ignored all that and just tried to pretend like I'm some awesome Christian all the time, people wouldn't understand the journey. 
you know, that it really takes um, to turn from a life of darkness to a life of light and be able to take that journey and help other people do the same. That's, that's great. And I really love the part you touched on there. Obviously I thought the sneaky Jesus part was funny, Um, but also the point there is that you don't, you, you know, it, that the principles can be there and it can be in the background. Cause as you were saying that I, this has been a recurring theme in the books I've been reading, uh, mm-hmm. is I, I've noticed this. It, it's like, they kind of mention it. Um, yeah. but, but not really, you know, it's just yeah. like one or two times in the book and it's just like very subtle. Like I noticed this in, in the success principles, um, mm-hmm. with Jack Canfield. I noticed this in the seven habits of highly effective people recently with Stephen Covey mm-hmm. with the one thing, uh, Gary Keller. Uh, I noticed that I noticed it. Um, gosh, what was it? 80, 20 sales and marketing, um, with Perry mm-hmm. Marshall. Like there's so many, um, different references. So I love that you said that because now I have some context and I, that was something I hadn't really thought about the, the principles being there. Mm-hmm. And then the method in the background, if that's the path you decide to take, that can be really impactful. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing, okay, in our world, especially in the Christian publishing world, we are all very connected to one another. We have peers or other authors or speakers that are also Christian authors and speakers. And for many reasons, we tend to talk to each other and connect with each other. And there's benefit to that because we all have audiences that could benefit from gospel focused material, right? But at the end of the day, part of our great calling is to reach the lost, okay? And so if we're only marketing to the people that are just like us, then we're missing out on an opportunity to really change someone's life. Um, and another personal story is one of the very first times I ever heard God clearly woo me as an unsaved person was in a Christian bookstore, which I have to tell you, I thought was the weirdest thing I'd ever heard of. I, I had a friend say, hey, you should go buy this book at this Christian bookstore. And I was like, a what? There's a whole bookstore that has a book about <laughs> God? Like it was so foreign to me, you know, as a 31-year-old female who'd never really been to church and was just starting to go. I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Um, But I walked in and I kept seeing this other book, you know, on an in camp that was not the book I was there for. And I walked over and picked it up and opened it. And it flipped open to a page that literally described me, the state of my mind, the state of my heart, the hurt I carried. um, And really this, the sin that I was headed towards um, and the very last sentence said, you, you can stop this. You just need to surrender to Jesus. And so, so many years later, like I remember that moment of being wooed when I didn't understand who God was, but that book showed me my need in a paragraph and a half. Um, and honestly, if I had walked out of that bookstore and ignored it, I don't know where I would have been. I mean, it completely changed my life, completely. You know, so if you're worried about, being too God-focused or not God-focused enough, really, you just have to trust God's guidance um, and voice of what he's telling you to do um, and just trust that it's okay to reach out in a way that's not super scripture heavy because people receive the gospel differently. Some people read the Bible and they just, that's it. 
they get it immediately. And then there's people like me who are a little more stubborn, <laughs> who, who need kind of that easing into the truth and they need to be taught that they're worthy of that love before they can be open to it. So again, there's places for both um, methods, really. You just need to figure out which one is right for you and your message and what God's telling you to do personally. That's great. Yeah. One last question um, before we um, wrap up. Final parting tip, piece of advice for, for faith-based authors um, as they market and sell their book. And let's, let's think um, more towards that person that this is probably their first book and they're sure. maybe having a little bit of internal struggle like we talked about at the beginning of this between the faith-based aspect of their book and, and having to sell it. Oh gosh, I could say so many things to that. <laughs> gosh. Okay. So I'm going to basically make this a, a two part answer. Perfect. Okay. Um, the first thing is that anything that you've walked through um, was purposed and divinely appointed. So whether you've had hurt or mistakes in your life, um, whether you've walked through a relatively quick path to God or not, there's need for someone in the world to hear your story. So you can't ever be afraid as a new author, especially to share that with the world. There's a way to do it in um, a way that shows redemption and hope and practical tips and application. Um, that guides others towards the gospel. And that's what you're aiming for, ultimately. Um, the second piece is we as creatives are in charge or really have an impact where we can plant seeds of faith and we can water them, right? So you have this amazing opportunity um, to reach people who are like me in that bookstore and plant the seed of faith that awareness of, oh my gosh, my life is not what I thought it was and I'm in need of Christ. Um, or your work can water a seed of faith that has been crushed by hurt or that has grown stagnant, you know, just from circumstances. That is what your work does and what it will do for people. Um, on the flip side, you have to leave that open-handed faith that God will reap the harvest so we may not necessarily see the results of our planting and our watering the seeds, um, but we can do everything we can to use the tools and resources we have available to us, which includes marketing and social media and email and digital strategies. All of, the th all of those things are tools that we can use to steward the message that was given to us well. Um, but again, at the same time, have that faith that God will do what he can do. We just have to do what we are called to do and be obedient to his call in our life. Those are great parting tips. Thank you so much, Lindsay, um, for coming on and for walking us through all this. I um, really enjoyed this interview. Uh, before we part, where, where can people go to find out more information about you and what you do? Oh, absolutely. I have a lovely website and it is www.lindsayhearts.com. Um, you will be privy to the one and only picture I've ever taken with makeup and my hairbrush. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you. Um, no, but just honestly, you know, I love um, connecting with people on my website. I have a newsletter you can sign up for um, to receive, you know, tips on marketing and 
really staying true to the message God has laid on your heart through the process. Um, and if you're interested in being in a launch team, I have a newsletter for that also. So it's a really cool experience. Um, and I like to hang out on Facebook way too much. So you can find me there as well. Um, funny story, my kids actually think I work on Facebook. They think that's my job. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook. You can find me at my website. And I would just love to connect with you and encourage you through your journey. Awesome. Lindsay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you could be listening to, YouTube channels that you could be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right, reviews are super important and help this podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.